Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version, where I get to interview amazing, inspiring women whose paths have crossed mine. And today I have Diane Papalia Zappa, who earned her PhD in Lifespan Developmental Psychology in 1971. She went on to teach human development courses to thousands of students at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, attaining the rank of tenured full professor of child and family studies at the age of 30. While in Madison, she and co-author Sally Wencos olds wrote A Child's World, which is now in its 13th edition, and Human Development, which is in its 14th edition. In 1986, while still a professor in Madison, Wisconsin, she met Frank Zappa's younger brother, Bob, who was a marketing manager for one of her books. They married in 2015. Her new book, The Married Widow, which is available on Amazon and bookstores everywhere on order if they don't already have it, is her reflection on their relationship through the years. See her wonderful website, which is the Married Widow 744-970071.wordpress.com, which is in the show notes, so you don't need to write that down, for more information. And she's also on social media as the Married Widow. So welcome, Diane. Thank you. Diane lives in New York City. And um, she has one beautiful daughter who's also read her book and an amazing husband who I unfortunately did not get to meet. And her book is just a poignant love story between two people who, because of various circumstances, couldn't be together for years. And then when they were finally together, Bob's life was cut short by a terrible disease that I can't even pronounce. What is it called? (laughs) amyloidosis. I have trouble pronouncing it too, so we call it AMI. Okay, AMI. Mm -hmm. And what exactly is that? It's, in his case, it's a hereditary disease passed on from one of his parents. Not all amyloidosis is hereditary, but his happened to be. And it's a condition in which the amyloid proteins in the body proliferate, and they cut off the normal functioning of organs and systems. In his case, the he had cardiac involvement, which is probably what ended up killing him. And he had neurological involvement, um, which wasn't too pleasant. It was very difficult for him. Do you want me to talk about some of that now? What that was like? Sure. Okay. Well, um, the cardiac involvement wasn't that clear. Although we do think the night that he passed away probably was because of a heart attack. The neurological involvement was more obvious. He, um, lost a lot of weight. He slept often, very often, napped all the time, but he had a lot of swelling in his um, feet, in his ankles. He said when he would walk, he felt like he was walking on bubble wrap rather than walking normally. So it was hard for him to put shoes on. Mm. He also um, had difficulty with his hands. And he said that that felt like, if I could imagine what it felt like trying to grasp things when you have um, a, a a boxing glove on. That's oh, what it felt like. Wow. It was awful. And, and um, to his credit, he really tried, but it was difficult for him to grasp things. It was difficult for him um, to zip things and button things. And I would have to help him with a lot of that. 
we had special utensils that you can buy on Amazon. I mean, we didn't have them specially made, which have built up handles, which he would use to cook. And then it was difficult, he would drop things. He did things like that too. So that all contributed to the last few years of his life. Um, one of the problems for him and for many people with amyloidosis is they're not diagnosed early enough. Mm. He was misdiagnosed for a couple of years with something called CIDP, chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneurosis or something like that. Um, and um, anyway, we can just call it CIPD. The doctors thought since the that's a somewhat more common rare condition, the symptoms were similar to CIPD. And so he was misdiagnosed and mistreated for two years, made no progress. And finally, one of the doctors who was sort of overseeing this whole thing said, hey, this isn't right. I don't think this is what he's got. So he sent him up to an experimental program at the Columbia Neurological Institute for this particular condition. And the last year of his life, Bob was part of an experimental group, which was testing um, a drug called patisserin to see if that would help. Unfortunately, he passed away, so it was too little too soon, although they are making progress now in this area. Okay, did anything from the trial give him some even temporary relief? All he would have said, I guess, was nothing clear cut. Some days were better than other days. Mm -hmm. um, and I could see that too. But all in all, it was a struggle. The next week after he passed away, he actually had appointments scheduled for his yearly checkup with the neurologist and with the cardiologist. Mm -hmm. They said to me later, they were really surprised that he passed away and it happened so suddenly. Um, they were expecting to see some level of improvement. And this is a drug that has been written up in the medical literature as showing some progress and promise. So um, I don't know um, what would have happened. Um, I think he probably would have said it was just his time. And I do believe that. Right, right, gosh. Well, so you were only actually married for three years and two mm -hmm. of those years were affected by his illness. And you're already a hero in my eyes for being such a loving caregiver. Well, I wanted to be with him. There was no, nothing heroic about it, but it was actually three years. The first, the first symptom was actually carpal tunnel syndrome, which nobody attributed to this condition. We only found out later that people were saying that might be something that if a person has carpal tunnel syndrome, they might want to look into amyloidosis. That happened actually before we got married. Wow. 2015 and 26, and I didn't think anything of it. I mean, he had an operation for it, but it didn't help but you know who's who's thinking of a genetic problem I wasn't he wasn't yeah. so 2015 and 20 2015 we got married 2016 and 2017 he was being treated for the wrong thing and 2018 he was treated for the right thing but it didn't work so his famous brother Frank Zappa did not die of the same thing no he died of prostate cam cancer wow. and, but he was only 53 so whether he would have carried this gene, I don't know. As far as I know, um, nobody else in the family, like his kids have it, but I don't, I don't know for sure. I hope not. But did you, ever, maybe, did you ever get to meet Frank Zappa? No, 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 no. He no. was gone long before, <laughs> long before I came along. Um, but I met um, two of his kids. I met Dweezel and I met Moon. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very good friends with his sister. 
um, Candy, who lives in California. Mm -hmm. she's, she's great. She's been wonderful to me, extremely supportive through all of this. And she lost her husband a few months ago. So we're kind of a mutual support society, which, which is good. Very good, very good. So the story of how your book came to be is really interesting to me because you didn't intend to write a book. You just Correct. wanted to describe your thoughts and memories before they began to fade and to preserve them for you and for your daughter and a few friends and found that it eased the pain of your loss. But then what happened? How did it get turned into a book? Well, after coming up with the first few months after he passed, 90% of a manuscript. I just um, you know, thought of it more as a journal, although it was organized into chapters, but it was more of a journal. And once I got to the point where I wrote the chapter, which was very difficult to write, in which he passed away the night he died, it's quite a dramatic chapter. And then one chapter on the sounds and visits and things, I just put it away and didn't think anything of it. I'd gotten down what I wanted to get down. Um, then, you know, I'm on Facebook all way too much of the time. And um, Emily had just founded, Emily Rose had just founded Bold Story Press. And in my feed came this announcement that she had just founded this company for women, for women authors. And she was interested in evaluating manuscripts. So I wrote her and I said, well, I have 90% of a manuscript. It was written on an iPad uh, using Evernote app. It's not on anything very traditional. But she immediately said, let's talk. So we talked, I think it was the next day. It was very soon thereafter. And pretty soon I was, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was pitching the book. And I told her how it came about and how I was at times at the beginning, I felt like I was almost channeling him in my writing. Sometimes I would write two chapters a day, which is why it's very significant. It took me so long to write the one the night he died. So I told her about that. And she was very interested in how the love story persisted over decades. So she said that I should send her um, what I wanted to send her. So I said, well, you know, I'll send you a table of contents and I'll send you the first two chapters and then the chapter when we finally decided we can, we can get together. And she said, yes. And she said, send anything that I wanted to send. I said, okay, but it's on an iPad. <laughs> so you're gonna get these chapters by email, nothing fancy. And she said, that was fine. And then shortly thereafter, she wrote and said that they were very interested in producing the book. So I said, okay. Wonderful, I love that. And I love that Bold Story Press, Emily's publishing company only publishes female authors. It's like a little mm -hmm. sisterhood she's creating. So, she's just uh, great. She, yeah. she is absolutely, absolutely great. Yeah. If anybody, woman, woman who listens to this, wants an endorsement for Emily. She is so accessible. Um, and I see she keeps signing books too. So I guess other people are relating to her as well, which is yeah. very exciting. I'm she thrilled also has uh, monthly free online seminars on exploring what it takes to write a book or get a book published. So look at boldstorypress.com or on Facebook or LinkedIn to sign up for one of her free seminars. So one, another thing that's really interesting to me about your book and your wonderful blog where you write letters to Bob, your um, husband, is um, your experience with a psychic named Drew who transmits 
comfort from the afterlife, which is just so intriguing. So tell me, how did you meet this psychic? And what did he tell you? Well, he's a psychic medium, okay. which means he can give readings and connect with um, spirit. And I've met him. Well, I've never actually met him. Our talks were on Zoom. But a friend of mine from college, after Bob passed away, sent me information about him. She'd heard him lecture. And she thought, gee, maybe this would be something of interest to me. Well, I kept the information, but I didn't do anything right away with it. And then after six months, about six months after Bob passed away, I just was really feeling down. So I contacted him and set up an appointment for the first of two Zoom sessions. The first one um, was about 45 minutes and it was just, it was amazing. I mean, I was definitely at a low point. He started off by telling me that he saw my parents, they were together. He was able to describe them in a way that made sense to me. He told me that he, my father smoked and he died of cancer and blah, blah, blah. So next thing was, he says to me, or said to me, does the name Bob mean anything to you? Now, he, yeah, I know. He knew nothing about me, nothing about Bob, and everything he told me could not be looked up. People have said to me, oh yeah, you know, he probably just Googled it. Impossible. So he, he said that Bob has some messages for you, that you're the love of his life, that you were meant to be together, uh, that you were his rock, all the exact words that he would say to me in life. It was, it was so reassuring that there is an afterlife and that he is someplace. He wanted me to know also that, that he liked it where he is now better than he thought he would and that I'd like it too when I got there and that what happened the night he passed away was exactly what was meant to happen, that he transitioned and it was his time, which brought me a lot of comfort because I always wondered if I could have done more to save him, I, you know, he got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I didn't know he'd gotten up. He went into the bathroom and he never came back. He died. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I found him on the floor. Um, so I didn't know. I mean, we had, the super came up and did CPR on him and that didn't help. I had 911 on the line, of course, and he did CPR and then the EMTs came and there was nothing. He was, he was gone. And, um, so anyway, Drew said that he wanted me to know that that was what was meant to happen. Okay, so then he mentioned other things about his personality, his integrity, his need for structure. And then about 40 minutes into this 45 minute session, he says, does the name Frank mean anything to you? Wow. Yeah, it was, it was mind blowing. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I have this image of one of them taking care of the other. Is it Bob taking care of Frank? And I said, well, the caretaking is right, but it's the other way around. Frank was the older brother. And I said, what are they doing? And he said, well, they're up there playing music. Oh, that just gave yeah. me chills. It, it gives me chills. It gave me chills when it was happening, but it was reassuring chills. You know, there were chills that felt good. So, um, I don't know, we sort of wound down after that. And I remember the last thing that happened was cute. It didn't have to do with Bob, it was my mother who was appeared at the beginning. She came back and he said, well, your mother's here. She wants the last word. And I said, well, okay, let her in. What's the last word? She says, I want you to know, Diane, you'll always be my little girl. And then she disappeared and the whole connection left. The door oh. shut. So needless to say, 
that helped a lot, but I didn't write that chapter until after Emily got in touch with me. Wow. wow. Then the second, the second reading was even more powerful. It was more give and take stuff that he, he never, again, he never could have Googled these things. He just knew. Um, I think you probably read in the chapter, the episode of the rings, the rings disappearing at one party and then reappearing at another party. And they were my wedding rings. And um, it's kind of long to go into, but it was pretty interesting um, how that happened. Um, and I think what happened was the, when the rings disappeared, Bob somehow got them off my fingers and somehow they got transmitted into an ice bin in the freezer. We didn't find them. Once I realized that the rings were off my fingers, we didn't find them. Six months later, I have a party. There's a group of people for both of these events when the rings disappeared and when the rings came back. Um, I'm having a party, the rings are still gone. There's a psychic medium who is the surfer at this party. She heard me talking about my rings being missing. She comes to me, what, what did you say is missing? I said, my wedding ring, his wedding ring and my engagement ring. She says, I'm a psychic, I will find them. I just need to concentrate. Midway into the party, there was a commotion in the kitchen. She actually had found them all three together in the ice bin in the freezer. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that was clear enough because that was the, definitely the abbreviated version of what happened. But each time the rings disappeared and reappeared, I had an audience. There were people who, who watched this going on. So it wasn't just crazy delusional Diane thinking her rings are coming and going. People yeah. saw it. That is so great. Oh my gosh. I um, was raised Catholic and we were taught that uh, believing in psychics and even uh, astrology horoscopes was a quote sin. I don't believe that anymore. And I have consulted clairvoyance for um, guidance that has been so helpful. And they too have given me information that they couldn't possibly have known things that I've never told anyone they were able to tell me so I believe in it and I believe that we all have a certain amount of intuition that we lose if we don't hone it intuition that we have from since childhood but I love that you're using uh, this medium as a way to process your grief and to stay in touch with your husband and I, from talking to you, I know that you feel like you're still in touch with him. Definitely. I'm still married to him. I still wear the rings. Um, you know, I'm not a 50 year old looking to create that kind of a family life again, but I think the bond between us is so strong that it never would have been possible. I mean, we were, someone told me about the concept of um, twin flames and, um, it's more powerful than soulmates. And I believe that that's what we are, that we're one soul and two bodies. And he would, Bob would say things like that to me when I'd ask him, I'd tease him. I'd say, aside from being Italian, what do we have in common? And he would say, well, we're one person, which basically is that concept. And um, so, yeah, I, I stay in touch with him. There's, I think um, I have now, I haven't counted recently. That's why I'm a little hesitant, but I wrote down the visits, the dates, not, not all the knocks because that's four times a day, every day since the pandemic started. Um, but I've wrote, written down at least 200 things that have happened in this apartment. Wow. I mean, I've seen them, 
I've heard them. Um, things move around. Um, it's, well, maybe that'll be my next book. <laughs> yeah, well, it's wonderful that uh, he too has found a way to help you feel not alone. And that's a beautiful thing. So I know that you have inspired a lot of other widows who have read your book. What, what kind of advice would you give to someone who has lost their husband? Well, things do soften over time, but the grief is gonna be most likely pretty acute at the beginning. Just expect it and go with it. I, what I would try to do at the beginning was do something every day. If that was get out of bed, <laughs> that mm -hmm. was an accomplishment. So be kind to yourself because um, it's going to be difficult. Another bit of advice, if that's the right word that I would give someone who's been widowed is um, don't be surprised if some of the people that you really thought would be there for you disappear. Mm. Every widow I've talked to has told me that. Fortunately, other people have emerged, but that's a very common phenomenon. And then other things you want to know, like other things that I did that I would tell them sure. about. Okay, well, you know, the reading obviously was the most powerful. The writing was very helpful, but I also loved to read. So I went to Amazon and there must be a thousand books on the afterlife, on grief, on any aspect of this that might interest you. I think I downloaded and read about 30 of them. That helped me a lot because so many people have experiences that I wanted to know about. Um, I joined some of the Facebook grief groups. There are plenty of them. For the most part, I didn't find them helpful. It was a lot of people who knew that their husband died 16 years, five months, three days and three hours ago, hmm. basically making no progress. And I didn't think that that was the right place for me. Um, but I do have a good friend that I may, met through one of these groups before I dropped out. And she's got a lot of comfort from a group of people. Her husband died one week after Bob and she, he was on, in hospice care. And she and a bunch of women who lost their husbands who were in that same hospice program at about the same time, continue to see each other three years later. She said, you know, we understand each other. We Zoom, particularly when you was safer to do that that we go out to brunch um, and we turn it into from a, a group of crying widows to just a group of friends, it's a family. So you gotta reach out. And sometimes the people you think you can reach out to who will be there for you won't, but there are other people who come. You just have to be open to them. Yeah, well, that is so beautiful that you have found a community of of support for you and that you, I know, are contributing to the healing of others through your words and your writing. And um, it's a really beautiful thing for, for people like me to witness. So tell me, what is something that you do to become your best version? <laughs> well, if I connect that to what I do for myself, only myself, then I just try to be kind to myself and realize that some days are gonna be better than other days and that's to be expected. Then to be a better version, I try to reach out to other people. And um, the group that I've identified is the one you just mentioned and we've been talking about and that's widows. And I think that if I can 
write to them, um, help them in some way, um, that would be a worthwhile thing to do. I've been in touch with um, the Modern Widows Club, which is a big group. I don't know if it's international, but it's certainly national. Um, the co communication director actually read The Married Widow and she loved it. And she saw a lot of implications for widows and help for widows in that book. So her goal, I think, is to try to get me involved with that group. She said, if I'd like to do some blogging, if I'd like to do some essay writing, if I would be willing to have part of the manuscript reproduced, a chapter here or a few paragraphs there. And she's looking into the book now to see which might be the most relevant for the group of people who would read it. So, you know, I'd like to reach out beyond myself too. Um, and also this amyloidosis thing, that's, that's a tough one because as I see the progress that's been made, it's like, oh, couldn't this have been a few years earlier? Mm -hmm. um, I just read something the other day about a brand new study, which seems to be reversing the effects of the type of amyloidosis that Bob had. Mm. And they're just, they're very excited about the results. And I'm very happy about that too. But I wish it had been earlier or he dealt on longer. So thank you, Drew, for telling me it was his time. But um, I'd like to do more as far as awareness and fundraising for that organization as well. So those are the main things, working yeah. with widows and working with that condition. Oh, well, I thank you for sharing that and for sharing from your heart and your experience in your beautiful book, The Married Widow, available on Amazon and at any bookstore. If you request it, it can be ordered if they don't already have it. Uh, it's a lovely read. It will make you feel good and believe in love. So thank you, Diane, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. All right. Take care.